Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Episode 222, bitches. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are other than the victims because, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, able-bodied white dudes. What? <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. These crimes rarely get any public attention, and that is because the news is racist. <laughs> I'm done now. You allegedly. Yeah. Oh, allegedly. Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. So, Beth, who are we talking about today? Well, today we're talking about Celestine Payne, a Black woman who took out life insurance policies on friends and family members and then killed them or had them killed. No! Yeah. Celestine, <laughs> no! No, why did you do it? Why did you do it? By the way, Celestine is such a pretty name. It's such a it shame. Really is. She did such... Heinous Such things. horrible things. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we get into the horribleness of it all, how you doing? I'm okay. So I just got back from Canada. You know, I was with vacationing Minnie. with Minnie. Yes. Welcome uh, back. Now I'm feeling a little blue. Oh, because you miss your sister? Yeah. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, because I miss my sister and I don't know what else. Oh. <laughs> Fran, 
so sorry. Well, you oh, know well, what? It happens. We will add you to the prayer list, okay? <laughs> um, and everybody who is going through it, everybody's on the prayer list. How about that? Lord, all right, sounds Lord, good. Please bless everybody. Please help us all get it together. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> I am on a high from the Ooh. Usher concert this weekend. Nice. Yes, it was. I guess some people call it the Super Bowl. I wasn't interested in any of that. Uh, um, all right. I wanted to see was the halftime show. We even let the kids stay up late and watch uh-huh. it. And Atlanta was in the building. I mean, there was roller skates. There was people being shot up in the air out of cannons. Oh I don't know. And then after the Super Bowl slash Usher concert, Beyonce dropped two new songs. What? Oh, what? Wow. Yeah. Country music. Nice. I like it now, apparently. <laughs> anyway, happy Black History Month. <laughs> so uh, let's get into some listener letters. All right. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Yes. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Mama Hops and Big Nose 15 for your five stars. <laughs> oh, hey, that's yeah. uh, hip hop air horns. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I missed Big Nose's comment. Uh, five stars. It was made back in like November. Oh. I don't think I ever saw it. Well, so, thank you, Big yeah, Nose. Thank five you. and Mama Hops. Yeah. And we got the voicemail. Yes, and we will play it yeah. at the end. I think it would be okay. kind of cool with the outros, don't you think? All right, yeah. And I wanted to say thanks to Robin, and thank you to your daughter for telling you about our show. Yes, thank you so much, Robin. Yeah, and please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. But, uh, you know, if you don't want us to, just let us know and we won't. Exactly. Oh, we got, yeah. look at this. We got a new Patreon. A oh, new right. Patreon, Adriana H. Right on. Thank you so much, Adriana H. This is for you and tune to follow shortly. Okay. On Adriana, on my hood, I look fly, I look good, catch my swag. Anyway, thank you so much, Adriana, for supporting our little show. We appreciate you. So before we get into our episode, everybody, we just want to say that this is a podcast about true crime and people of color and those who are marginalized or minoritized. True crime and murder and all the bad stuff can be difficult to talk or hear about sometimes. And so can systemic issues like race. But it is part of the world that we live in. And as global citizens, we got to have conversations about this stuff. You can't fix what you you don't face, okay? And that goes for crime, violence, oppression, all the things. And we want this to be a safe space where we can have conversations about all the things we're all learning all the time. Sometimes we'll we're gonna make mistakes, but we just yep. cop to it, learn from it, and keep it moving on our collective quest to be our best sexy selves. <laughs> and I just punch through an imaginary ceiling. <laughs> and we welcome all our listeners to be a part of the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Fruit Loops Pod, or email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com. All right, so let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the story when we come back. 
Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject is Celestine Payne, a Black woman who took out life insurance on friends and family members and then killed them or had them killed. Oh. And she also involved her own children in the schemes and the crimes. Yeah. Not good. Not a good look. Nope. So now we're going to move on to the love and light portion of our show where we just say rest in power to the victims and also love and light to those left in the wake of this tragedy, including those who survived. Yeah. So rest in power to Alfonso Payne, who was 58, and rest in power to Tara Carter, who was 18. And Eugene Cooper was also a victim of Celestine's crimes, but Eugene survived. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Patterson, New Jersey. Patterson is located in Passaic County in New Jersey and is just 20 miles northwest of New York City. The area of Patterson was originally inhabited by the Lenape, a nomadic people belonging to the Algonquin language family. Other tribes within this language group include the Ojibwa, Blackfoot, and Shawnee. In 1609, the Dutch claimed the land as New Netherlands, followed by the British as the province of New Jersey. During colonial rule, the United States was still largely agrarian because manufacturing had been restricted by England. Ugh, bitches. Anyway, raw materials (laughs) had to be turned over to England for manufacturing, and the colonists had to buy the manufactured articles from England at inflated prices. No! (laughs) (laughs) Only a few small industrial and manufacturing enterprises had been allowed to exist when the United States became a new nation. Patterson started out as a planned industrial city developed using funds raised by an investment group called the Society for Establishing Useful Manufacturers, Hmm. or SUM, S-U-M. Oh, okay. Formed by Alexander Hamilton, (gasps) the first secretary of the Treasury. Oh, how does a bastard orphan son (laughs) of a whore and a Scotsman (laughs) dropped in the middle of a forgotten (laughs) spot in the Caribbean start an organization called SUM? Anyway, (laughs) while serving under George Washington during the Revolutionary War, Hamilton had seen the Great Falls of the Passaic River because the water from the river cascades over rugged cliffs and drops 77 feet, then rushes through the Passaic River Gorge. 
he saw the potential for using the water power and selected the land surrounding this area for Patterson. Wow. Yeah, and in 1792, the SUM founded Patterson and named it after Governor William Patterson. Along with other manufacturing centers that utilized large water power systems, Patterson eventually created a great economic wealth from textiles, paper, and machinery. Massive brick and mill buildings lined the canals that transformed the power of the falls into energy to drive machines. These mills manufactured many things during the history of the city, such as cotton textiles, steam locomotives, Colt revolvers, and aircraft engines. In the latter half of the 19th century, silk production became the dominant industry and formed the basis of Patterson's most prosperous period, earning it the name Silk City. And during World War II, Patterson played an important part in the aircraft engine industry. But by the end of the war, urban areas were in decline and Patterson was no exception. So Patterson became a center of industry because of its vital relationship to water and attracted many immigrant laborers. But as water power was replaced by electricity, industries moved away. But all those people, including immigrants and Black people who went there for those jobs, right? Uh, Yeah. What are they going to do? Yeah. Once millwork and production left the city, Patterson quickly went into decline. Beginning in the late 60s, the city suffered from high unemployment rates and white flight. By 1983, Patterson was the fifth poorest city in the United States, which is amazing because I'd never even heard of it before. Oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I I haven't heard of it either. And that stat is uh, wild. But, um, you know, every time we do these cases, I'm always and we do the setting part. I'm always curious about land acknowledgments, the indigenous people who were there first, right. and what racial like violence occurred. And um, I was able to find a racial uprising that occurred in oh, Patterson, okay. New Jersey. Oh, tell me about it. In August. August of what year? Oh, uh, 1964. 1964, August 11th gotcha. to the 14th. And y- you can just look at the year. That's a tumultuous time in right. American history. So there were uprisings all over the place, including... Elizabeth, New Jersey, New NYC, and Jersey City. So on the evening of August 11th, a group of Black teenagers were coming home from a school dance, and the teens began throwing rocks at police cars. And Never a good idea. <laughs> no, but um, the mayor, again, there was a lot of economic strife and racial tensions, etc. Right. And so the mayor decided you know what I'm going to do? Fight force with force. Um, Also not a good idea. Not a good idea. So over the next several days, the people were met by police with, they were in riot gear, there was tear gas and and other weapons. The reason for the uprising was because predominantly poor black and brown neighborhoods, their housing conditions were decaying. And leaders, black community leaders, church leaders, the NAACP, urged folks to stay home, and then also tried to steer the narrative to focus on what on the real problems. You know, the community needs people better needed, housing, yeah. rent control, and improved recreation facilities. Because by the way, Culture Corner, in big cities with large Black populations, especially, I'm thinking, uh, th- this city in New Jersey, um, Baltimore, cities like that, the city planners intentionally in, in areas where there are Black and brown people eliminated recreational areas. Pools were had cement dumped in them. Parks were replaced with buildings, etc. So 
Those are what the community needed. That's Shitty. what they wanted. Yeah. 43 black people and three white people were arrested. And again, the uprisings were in reaction to deep-rooted social and economic issues for black and brown communities. But cut to 2020. The population of Patterson was approximately 159,000, 63% of which was Latinx, and 24% was Black, and 18% of the population was white. Approximately 25% of Patterson residents live in poverty. Mm. Well, here's a fun fact. Ooh! Patterson is the hometown of boxer Ruben Hurricane Carter, who spent 22 years in prison Mm. for a triple murder until he was cleared Mm -hmm. in 1988. Wow. And his story was dramatized in the 1999 Denzel Washington film, The Hurricane, which was uh, partially shot in the city of Patterson. Wow. That, the, yeah. that's His story is crazy. He got out of prison and he wasn't even mad. <laughs> I was like, you wouldn't be mad at anybody? <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> Hurricane. Uh, <laughs> and the, the lyrics of the Bob Dylan song, Hurricane, which is also about Ruben Coada, include, in Patterson, that's just the way things go. If you're black, you may as well not show up on the street unless you want to draw the heat. And that's my Dylan commercial. No lies detected. No lies detected. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So now let's get into the early life of Miss Celestine Payne. Hit it, Beth. Okay, so uh, I couldn't find anything about her early life. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Bummer. Bummer. But according to court records, she had a history of psychiatric problems for which she was prescribed medications. And when she expressed anger at her husband and even threatened to kill him, her medication was increased. Oh. That, that should cure the problem. Yeah. <laughs> In 1991, Celestine Payne was 41 years old, a homemaker and mother of four children, three daughters, Ivory, Wendy Joy, and Sateria, and a son named Aubrey. She had graduated from high school, but read and wrote poorly and had last worked 10 years earlier as a bookbinder. Her husband, Alfonso Payne, was a driver for a trucking company. So let's dive on into the timeline. Splish splash. All right. The Payne's daughter, Wendy Joy, had a friend named Tara Carter. Tara was born in 1976, grew up in Patterson, and was part of a tight-knit family. According to Tara's older sister, Rosie, their mom was church-going and their dad was a hard worker. According to Rosie... Tara had a very bubbly personality, was social, and never had a problem making friends. Tara and Wendy's parents also became friends, and Celestine said that she thought of Tara as a daughter. Wow. Yeah. The Paynes occasionally rented out rooms to boarders, one of which was a man named Eugene Cooper. In the early 90s, Celestine's husband, Alfonso, fell ill. He suffered from gout and severe hypertension, and he was practically bedridden. Mm, so financially, things are really tough. Not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when, you know, even I, I have so many poor people sayings, but uh, if a dog is hungry enough, he'll eat his own shit. And uh, I feel like what happened in the end is Celestine eating her own shit. Anyway, in, 1990, <laughs> in, ni- in 1991, <laughs> Celestine Payne asked Eugene to kill her husband, but he refused. Later, Alfonso died in his bed. Celestine, Eugene, Wendy, and Aubrey then placed Alfonso in a box. What? And dumped his body next to a road in an area of Patterson known for heavy drug traffic. 
His body was found on September 2nd, 1991. Because Celestine had regularly threatened to poison her husband, Eugene and Wendy believed that Celestine had killed Alfonso in order to collect the life insurance because the family was in danger of losing their home. According to Wendy, Celestine often put medicine in her husband's food and told the children not to eat or drink it. Uh, oh, an yeah. autopsy revealed that Alfonso had died of a mix of anti-anxiety and antidepressant prescription drugs. His death was ruled accidental, a result of mixing drugs with alcohol, and Celestine Payne collected $49,000 in insurance money. Strangely enough, although Alfonso did not suffer from depression, the drugs that caused his death matched exactly the medication prescribed to Celestine Payne. Wow, <laughs> an ironic full circle moment. Oh, wow. Oh, man, that, that's wow. So around this time, Tara and her mother moved to Alabama while her sister Rosie stayed in Patterson to finish high school, living with a friend. In Alabama, Tara met a boy and became pregnant at 14, giving birth to a daughter that she named Bernicia. Tara's father, who still lived in New Jersey for work, later relocated with the family to Albany, Georgia. But Tara missed her hometown and she returned to Patterson, reuniting with her sister Rosie. Tara rented a room at Celestine's house and began focusing on getting her cosmetology license. Mm. She wanted to become a hairdresser, then move back to Georgia to be with her daughter, who was living with her parents at the time. And that couldn't have been easy to be no. away from, from your child, you know what child. I mean? Child, um, yeah. But, you know, we do what we got to do to have a better life. Yeah, and I think that she, at the time... She wasn't ready to be a mom, mm -hmm. and she went to Patterson and then realized that she was ready oh. and uh, got her shit together. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wendy's boyfriend, Charles Pincham, was a frequent visitor to the Payne house during the summer of 1994. At the time, Charles was 21 and lived with his parents. He had dropped out of high school while in 11th grade, fathered two children, and dealt drugs to get by. He also had prior convictions for sexual assault and possession of cocaine with intent to distribute. And he was on parole. So a fine, fine young man. Well, again, <laughs> circumstances, right? I mean, yeah. he, he... Except for the sexual assault. Right. Th you know, I glossed right over that. Thank you, friend. Actually, that, yeah. Uh, yes, you're not, uh, not a good dude. <laughs> and we find out, yes, he is not a good not dude. Not a good dude. Yeah. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. 
I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. So that year, Celestine purchased a life insurance policy on her boarder, Eugene Cooper, naming herself as the beneficiary on the policy. And that summer, Celestine, Wendy, and Charles spent a lot of time in Celestine's kitchen, plotting the death of Eugene Cooper for the insurance money. Wow. While Eugene sat in the very next room watching television. Of all the kitchen table conversations I've had in my life, (laughs) never has plotting a murder been one of them. Oh, my God. On, oh, my, on September 13th, 1994, Charles, on directions from Celestine, left the house with Eugene to go to the liquor store and then stabbed Eugene multiple times in the stomach with a butcher knife. Provided by Celestine and ran away, leaving Eugene for dead. Wow. Wow. Fortunately, Eugene survived the attack, but he was in the hospital in intensive care for a month. Mm. He told police that he'd been stabbed by a man named Charles Darby. And I I could never uh, figure out if he actually thought his name was Charles Darby or if he gave him the wrong name on purpose. That's interesting. Yeah. Investigators, of course, were never able to locate a Charles Darby. Yeah. And the case stalled. And then when Eugene was released from the hospital, he went into hiding because he was scared and police were unable to locate him. Okay. Okay. Well, Eugene, amazing he survived. And probably smart to get as far away from these people as as possible. In December of 1994, Celestine Payne asked Charles Pincham to kill Tara Carter for insurance money. Charles later claimed that he refused her request, but then he eventually came around, probably needed money. Yeah. And according to Wendy, she became aware of Charles's plan to kill Tara in January of 1995. So they all knew about this plan. Everybody knew and nobody said a word. Nobody said anything. But by March of 1995, Tara had decided to move back to Georgia to be with her daughter. Both she and her sister Rosie were planning to take a train to Georgia on the first weekend in March. And that Friday morning, March 3rd, Charles came over to the Payne house. And when he arrived, Celestine gave him a crowbar and told him to use it to kill Tara. Wow, that's cold blooded. Yeah. Also, okay, so I totally get black people. Our first instinct is not to call the police. Call the authorities. Have them come get all up in our business. But, yeah, and that's why I think that maybe Eugene didn't tell didn't, right. police his real name. Right. Maybe. I don't know. But go ahead. That's my suspicion. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, but everybody in this house knew that this what was, happening. was a plan. Yeah. So they made, right. maybe there was another option. Like maybe talk to Celestine and suggest other yeah. entrepreneurial ideas. Yes. Rather or, than or selling drugs. <laughs> yes. There's so many other things, <laughs> careers that could be, um, you know, uh, pursued. But anyway, Tara was yeah. <laughs> Tara was sitting in a chair, curling her hair. Oh, my. What a vulnerable position to be I in. Know. So Tara was sitting in a chair, curling her hair when Charles came up behind her and hit her in the head multiple times with a crowbar, knocking her off 
of the chair. After killing Tara, Celestine and Charles moved her body into a bedroom and cleaned up the blood. They then wrapped her body in a sleeping bag and dumped her remains at Eastside Park. Celestine then went to her daughter's house in South Carolina for the weekend. According to court records, Charles was supposed to blow up the Payne's house that same day so that Celestine could collect $538,000 insurance. But that scheme was never carried out. Did Charles forget to blow up the I house? Don't or maybe know. Home Depot was out of explosive Blowing materials. Up materials. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, that would have been crazy. That would have been nuts. And I wonder if we would even know about this case, right? If if the house did blow up and we never found out about Celestine. Right. Right. Uh, But uh, that night, Rosie and Tara were supposed to attend a concert together, but Tara never showed up and Rosie went by herself. Rosie looked for Tara on Saturday as they were supposed to leave for Georgia, but she could not find her and grew concerned. Yeah. And these sisters, one, I think Tara was 18 and Rosie was like 20. Okay. So they're real young. Yeah. And So she couldn't find her. She didn't show up for the concert and then she couldn't find her on Saturday. She was concerned, but I don't think she was like freaking out yet because they're young and young people do stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? She might have gone over to her boyfriend's house and forgot about the time or whatever. You know, I I think she wasn't freaking out yet. Yes. But but she was concerned. Mm hmm. On the morning of Saturday, March 4th, 1995, two joggers at Eastside Park in Patterson, New Jersey, spotted a dead body wrapped in a sleeping bag and notified police. The Jane Doe had no identification, and it took a while to identify her. She had experienced massive trauma to the back of the head, but the lack of blood on the sleeping bag suggested that she had been murdered elsewhere. When the victim's fingerprints were run through the system, investigators got a hit. It was 18-year-old Tara Carter. So now, now we're getting somewhere. It's time for the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? So police quickly located Tara's sister, Rosie, who was devastated by her little sister's death. Investigators next spoke to Celestine, who said she had not seen Tara since Friday, March 3rd, right before she left to visit her daughters in South Carolina, Mm. where she remained all weekend. I hope I don't sound ridiculous. (laughs) I don't know this woman, and I haven't seen her all weekend. Uh, (laughs) So Celestine agreed to let authorities come to her house to search through Tara's belongings. After handing over Tara's suitcase, Celestine told investigators that Tara also kept some belongings in the basement. Hmm. While investigators were in the basement looking through Tara's belongings, detectives noticed a brown stain on the floor. It appeared to be dried blood. And when investigators looked directly up from the stain at the support beams above, they saw even more stains, leading them to suspect that Tara had been murdered on the upper level of the home and that her blood had seeped down through the floor. Now imagine how much blood that was. I was just going to say, I never fathomed that as a possibility. Also, when you said, hey, police officers. Go down to my basement. Yeah, go, go I check thought down she was going to push him. That's what I anticipated. You was going to shove yeah, him down the that, stairs. The, problem solved. And then run away. Yeah, Celestine's, she's out. Yeah. But I'm so glad. Celestine out. I'm so glad they 
investigated and used the evidence. Yeah, I think it's hilarious that she told them to go down because they weren't going to go look in the basement. Yeah. (laughs) She was like, oh, go check out the basement. Yeah. And that's what that's what fucked her up. Yeah. Yeah. She she really played herself. Yeah, she did. Uh, So. That narrowed down the suspects that, oh, did it? It narrowed down the suspects. You don't say to someone who had access to the house. There were several people that lived in or frequented the Payne's house. A lot of people were coming and going. So there were quite a few potential suspects, including Celestine's son, Aubrey, and her three daughters. Also, Tara's boyfriend, whose nickname was Original. Hmm. The family didn't know his real name, but police later learned that it was Edwin Morrison. So they questioned Edwin, but he had a solid alibi and was eliminated as a suspect. While searching the Payne's house, investigators came across a life insurance policy on a man named Eugene Cooper, which named Celestine as a beneficiary. The name was familiar to authorities since they had investigated the attempt on Eugene's life the previous year. <gasps> Got him! Yeah. It's also amazing that they remembered Yeah, Eugene. Yeah. yeah. Investigators then tracked down Eugene Cooper, who said he had no knowledge of a life insurance policy with Celestine as the beneficiary. Mm. He did, however, have a life insurance policy through his work, which Celestine had pressured him to sign over to her, (gasps) but he had refused. It turned out that Celestine had taken out a second policy and (gasps) forged his signature on it. Ooh. Oh, wow. So Eugene said that the man who stabbed him was someone who frequently hung out at Celestine's home and had dated one of her daughters. While no one by the name of Darby had come up in Tara's investigation, Celestine told police that her daughter Wendy was dating a man named Charles Pincham. Wondering if the two men were the same person, investigators showed Eugene a photo lineup, which included a photo of Charles Pincham, and he identified Charles as his attacker. Authorities then located Charles at his mother's house and took him into custody. Mm. Mm-mm. When asked about the attempted murder of Eugene Cooper, he admitted to stabbing him, but said that the plan had been hatched by Celestine and Wendy Payne. He said he had been promised money for the insurance policy to commit the murder. Charles was also questioned about Tara's murder. He claimed that Celestine asked him to kill her, but he refused. On the day of the murder, he said he went over to the Payne house and saw Celestine and her son Aubrey dragging Tara's body across the floor. Oh! Yeah. You, know, you just walk occurrence. into somebody's house and... Yeah. Oh, what do you got over there? <laughs> uh, what? Oh, my God. So as they continued their investigation, authorities found a second life insurance policy naming Celestine as the beneficiary. This time, it was for Tara. Authorities secured arrest warrants for Celestine and Aubrey, and they tracked them to a family friend's home where they had been staying since Tara's murder investigation had begun. After learning that her son was being charged with murder, Celestine confessed. She said she had her daughter Wendy impersonate Tara to obtain the life insurance policy, and Charles Pincham was recruited to kill her. Knowing Tara was about to leave town, they decided on March 3rd as the day to go through with their plan. When confronted with Celestine's statements, Charles admitted that Aubrey had nothing to do with the murder. He said that both Celestine and Wendy had asked him to kill Tara in exchange for some of the insurance money. After Celestine and Charles's confessions, Wendy was taken into custody. 
She admitted that she was involved in the planning of both Tara's murder and Eugene's attempted murder. Wendy went on to claim that her mother's insurance scams went beyond what investigators knew, and that Celestine had set fire to her own home for insurance money multiple times. I think it was like four times. Oh, my God. Wow. Wendy also said that she had no doubt that her mother had poisoned her father. Wow. She's spilling all the tea. Spilling all the tea. Also, you now there's mechanisms in place like you can't you can't have multiple fires. And tons of people die without the insurance industry knowing. There's like a whole, like, I think it's called the NICB. So whenever an insurance claim is paid, period, it gets reported. It goes into the database. Yeah. So if you've ever received any money before the insurance company sends you more money, they will know that you receive money for these other things. Does that make sense? Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Unless unless you're just really unlucky, in which case that sucks. Yeah. I mean, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's why you have insurance for when shit happens. Yeah. But if shit is happening and it's fishy, yeah, we yeah, don't want yeah. that. No. So authorities learned that Alfonso had overdosed on drugs that had been prescribed to Celestine and that she had been secretly feeding him her drugs. Based on all the facts, the totality of it, she was also charged with Alfonso Payne's murder. How about that? While we're at it, we're just going (laughs) to add another charge. (laughs) So uh, now let's get into the trial. Hit it, Beth. Charles Pincham pleaded guilty. As part of his plea agreement, he cooperated with the state in connection with the prosecutions of Celestine and Wendy Payne. Charles was sentenced to 20 years for attempted murder and to a consecutive term of life with 30 years of ineligibility for parole. I hope he's in there like telling people, hey, insurance scams. It's not worth it. Yeah, not worth it. So for her crime, Celestine Payne was charged with two counts of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. One count of attempted murder, three counts of hindering apprehension, Two counts of forgery and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Just kidding. And then two counts of possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose. What about the fucked up shit she did with the bodies? Uh, yeah. Did we get a messed up, like messing up? Isn't there like a messing up bodies or messing up corpses um, charge? Yes, there is a a charge for that, but. Uh, I guess they decided enough was enough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I forget what that's called. Uh, desecrating a body? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay. Just curious. When authorities threatened to charge Aubrey for the crimes, she pled guilty to all charges on May 28th, 1997. On each murder conviction, the court sentenced her to concurrent terms of life imprisonment with a 30-year period of parole ineligibility. Wendy Payne pleaded guilty to two counts of conspiracy to commit murder in the second degree and one count of attempted murder in the first degree, and she was sentenced to 28 years in prison. Celestine's son, Aubrey Payne, faced charges for helping dispose of his father's body. We're not sure what happened with his case, but uh, he's not currently incarcerated, and I didn't see that he was ever incarcerated. Mm, So I wonder, maybe. I don't don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. So. Now let's get into where are they now? Well, Wendy Payne was released from prison in 2009. Celestine Payne and Charles Pincham are still incarcerated. Payne will be eligible for parole in 2025. And Pincham 
in 2031. Wow. Yeah, and I'm not really sure why there's a difference mm. because they both got 30 years mm -hmm. in eligibility for parole. So, and I think Pincham pleaded first, so I don't know why why there's like a six year difference. Um, I'm sure it's the judge's fault, and maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it could it could it could just be good old fashioned racism. You know, a black man getting a harsher punishment than a black woman, anybody else. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, black that men be... in in the imaginations of white people are dangerous, um, more dangerous yeah. than yeah, yeah. In 2021, Celestine Payne petitioned the court for compassionate release. She suffers from a combination of medical conditions, including kidney disease requiring dialysis mm. and diabetes. Mm. She had her left leg amputated below the knee and has suffered a heart attack. Ooh, well, none of those are good Not things. Not well. Yeah, yeah, but it is... Isn't that interesting? Like, the karma of it all? Yeah. So, her request was denied. Because she requires full-time nursing, she is currently living in the infirmary at Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women. So that's weird, living in an infirmary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. It makes that's, a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know what the sure. heck could would. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just yeah. interesting that it's not. It's you know who's. It's going to be somebody's burden to take care of. Somebody in her yeah, condition. Yeah, I think um, one of her daughters who lives in Texas mm -hmm. was going to take her in. Oh. And she is eligible for parole in 2025. Mm -hmm. So maybe next year yeah. she'll get out um, and go live with her daughter in Texas. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, you think that she's this infirm. She wouldn't be able to do anything. But her skill was not in doing things. It was more in convincing Thank other you people to do things. So much yeah. for saying yeah. that. Yeah. She had to have been like super charming. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it, maybe she's reformed. Um yeah, but I, I doubt it, but <laughs> <laughs> so Tara Carter's daughter Bernicia was two years old when her mother died. And she has no memory of her. Mm. She is now an adult and is in her 30s. Wow, that is yeah, kind of sad. Very sad. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So that's it for the story. Why don't we get into what we think made Celestine snap as well as our takeaways? What are your thoughts, Beth? Well, Celestine Payne was described as mentally ill and someone without many skills. Mm. She could barely read and write. She did not have a job. 
Um, I think the one job that they mentioned was she was a bookbinder, mm-hmm. which is, you know, just a physical labor mm-hmm. and probably not doesn't pay very much. Yep. And she had four children to take care of. Yeah. Her husband, Alfonso, was sick and they were in danger of losing their house. Mm-hmm. And she set fire to her own home for insurance money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I don't know when those things happened, but I think murdering people for insurance money, as sick it is, as it is, yeah, became her way of making money to survive. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. Now, how you get to that point, uh, killing people, especially people you know, mm-hmm. and and involving your own children in your schemes? Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. I think you'd have to have at least some psychopathy yeah. to be able to do that. I also think this would make a great series on HBO or Netflix. Yeah. Because of the fraud and how the complexity of it. Yeah. This person is, you know, she's orchestrating all this stuff. Yeah. She's like Griselda Blanco without the drugs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would also <laughs> like to know a lot more about or anything about her childhood. Yeah. We couldn't find anything about her childhood yeah. and it would be good to know like what happened to her. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Why <laughs> what the fuck happened to her to make like her this? be this way? Yeah. Yeah, but clearly she had she was averse to being destitute, right? Like she oh, was at sure. that level yeah. of struggle that anything else i don't you know that i i can't let this happen i can't lose my job i can't lose my kids and you know when you are poor and black it's not just that you don't have it's that other people will see because she has kids right other people see her not having enough and she could have been in jeopardy of losing her kids right or yeah and then losing your home on top of that so i just think she was just really afraid and made some really shitty decisions. Yeah. Decisions. Yeah. The amount of money that she got from these schemes was not that much no. either. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was just like survival. Yeah. Yeah. Sick. Sick. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, people were harmed gravely, like yeah. Eugene, yeah. and two people were murdered. So, what I don't want right. to, I certainly do not want to minimize that or, oh, not at all, characterize Celestine or, or dismiss it exactly. as, oh, oh, she was just, I mean, yeah, lots of people are destitute uh-huh. and they don't kill anybody, so, right? Right, yeah, right. But the, uh, we, we talk about this so much because every week we do a true crime podcast, but a lot of, <laughs> a lot of times it's, um, Imagine if everybody had what they needed, you know, if everybody had basic right to shelter, food, (laughs) water, safety. Um, I think a lot of these we wouldn't have anything to talk about on what on Tuesday nights, Fred. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) So wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Put, uh, put us out of business, yeah, people. Come on, let's change the world. Uh, so, and I, yeah, bringing her family, and that's kind of why I thought maybe she didn't think that she was really doing anything evil. Because why would you also involve your children, right? Like if you yeah. love them and you're doing all this stuff for them, um, bring, bring, bring. But them she also in. like when she got caught, mm-hmm. she like turned on Wendy. Oh, um, yeah. So maybe, yeah. 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 So, so there is something. There's something wrong. There, yeah. We got to talk about Celestine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we got to talk about that girl. Somebody lay hands on her. Um. So, so I, I did find it interesting that she involved Wendy in her schemes. 
Um, the other two daughters were not mentioned at all. Yeah. Um, and then Aubrey, he was involved in disposing of his father's body. Mm-hmm. I don't know how involved he was. I mean, as far as we know, he wasn't involved in Tara's murder at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he, he got charged, Celestine freaked out and confessed. <gasps> but she was willing to turn on her daughter. <gasps> Oh my God! So, and her I mean, her, Wendy was involved, son. but yeah, if it, it seems like her son was more Not valuable my baby to boy. her than her daughter. Oh, yeah, Beth. Only the OG of true crime would have observed <laughs> such such a wow, 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 wow. I that wow, I <laughs> that never would have occurred to me. But yeah, <laughs> and valley yeah. people in her life are things. Yeah, not really people with varying degrees of value from her husband to her children and what a fucked up way to view people oh my god yeah yeah well that's psychopathy right ding 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 thanks Beth (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's let us know what you think you know where to find us and now we're going to move on to the how not to get murdered section of our show okay if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> it's sort of bad. <laughs> My voice. <laughs> sort of. Beth isn't coughing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So I checked. You can't take out a life insurance policy on someone without their knowledge these days. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah. good to know. There's a lot of verifications in, in, in place. So you can, I mean, maybe you could pretend to be somebody, but to prevent. Yeah, that's what they did with Tara. Yeah. yeah. To prevent falling victim to insurance related crimes, consider the following tips. Okay. Protect your personal data, health insurance information, treat it like a credit card. So you know, uh, don't be announcing my date of birth. Don't be passing, yeah. passing it around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't share it with others uh, or allow unauthorized access. Use strong passwords. Cautious when you are, you know, doing these transactions at the doctor's office or the pharmacy because a scammer could be listening. Stay informed and vigilant, you know, that we get news alerts on the latest phishing scam or the latest. Right. So pay right. attention. Be skeptical of unsolicited Offers or phone calls. If it sounds too good, it probably is. And trust your gut. (laughs) Anything else, Beth? Nope. Think you covered it. Okay. Well, shout out time where we shout out any content by or about people of color, any minoritized folks, or any true crime goodies. All I got to say is Abbott Elementary is back. Yes. And (laughs) such a delightful program. And um, I wanted to shout out The Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix about the We Are the World, the making of that song. And it almost didn't happen. They did it after the American Music Awards when everybody was tired. Al Jarreau showing up all faded, drinking red wine. (laughs) Um, Michael Jackson is getting so irritated. Michael Jackson went to Lionel Richie's house to write the song. And... Michael Jackson's snake came out of the uh, bookshelf uh, and uh, <laughs> Lionel Richie was like, Michael, what the, f- what the fuck is this? And Michael's like, he loves the music, Lionel. 
He loves the music. So he brought his snake to Lionel Richie's house? No. Um, Lionel went to Michael's house and the, the oh, snake Lionel went yeah, to Michael's yeah, house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, there's gotcha. all kinds of like wild things like that. Like, you know, it's, it's just really, really great anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got today. Okay. So I wanted to shout out a new podcast. It's called black history for real. It's and so it's a, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a wondery history series mm-hmm. hosted by, Francesca Ramsey and Conscious Lee. Yes. Oh, Conscious Lee. I didn't realize Conscious he was a... Lee. Oh, yes. Yeah. Follow him on Instagram. He's amazing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so the description is, quote, go beyond the stories you already know to drop you right into the mix. It's a no-nonsense, unwhitewashed account of history's most overlooked moments with a mix of narrative storytelling and candid conversation, mm, unquote. Yeah. And uh, by the time this show drops... There'll be more episodes, but right now there's just two episodes up and Mm -hmm. it's a part of a four part series on the women of the Black Panthers. And it's really good. Yeah. (laughs) And the chemistry between Francesca and Conscious is really good. Yeah. 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 I I listened to the trailer. I haven't I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I was I was I was hooked. Yeah. It's good. What else you got? Um, I just wanted to mention that Shogun drops on February 27th on FX and Hulu. Ooh. So it'll probably be dropped by the time this airs. Okay, awesome. So obviously I haven't seen it yet because it's like two weeks away, but I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know um, anything about this program. I know everything Shogun. about TV. Just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a story about Imperial Japan. Oh, you know Shoguns. what? I think you've, you've um, shouted this out before. So it's the second season? I don't know. No, it's it's the first. Oh, okay. I don't recall if I shouted this out before or not. Hmm. Um, I found out about it, that it, they were making it a while back, hmm. but I, I don't know that I would have shouted it Ooh, out. Oh, it looks beautiful. Sorry, I'm probably wrong on that, yeah. but it looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's already got, like, I guess the people who have watched it mm-hmm. you know beforehand mm-hmm. it's already got like a hundred percent rotten tomatoes yeah this is yeah. A, mu- a must watch yeah thank you you're welcome so february 27th and then um dune 2 part 2 is coming out on march 1st so i'm excited finally, for that finally it feels like yeah. that took so long well it was supposed to drop last year but then it got pushed off because of the strike um, strike oh, yeah i see okay Okay, yeah. well, I'm glad it's finally here. So, yeah, me too. To recap, Abbott Elementary is back. I watch it on Hulu. Um, the Greatest Night in Pop on Netflix. Black History for Real, uh, a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Shogun, the TV program, and that's Hulu, right? It, yeah, yeah, on Hulu. And also Dune coming out March first. Oh, yeah. Well, look at that. It's the end of the show. We're here. But uh, where can the people find us in the meantime, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show. Also, join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content. And you can also support us by supporting our sponsors, 
or by giving us a five-star review. Five Five stars stars only, only, please. please. (laughs) (laughs) Also, don't forget to subscribe. Yes. Also, speaking of subscribing, Google Podcast is going away. So if you listen to us there, find a new wonderful app. And subscribe to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Yeah, there. you can transfer all of your podcasts over by using I forget what it's called. Uh... So you can export to YouTube Music, easily transfer your podcast subscriptions list to YouTube Music, or export for another app. So you can download yeah. a list. It's a OPML file. Mm-hmm. So you have to find out where the OPML file is. And then uh, you can download that and then upload it into the new service. That's what I, I've done it twice already. You did? <laughs> I... Yeah, because I've, I'm trying different oh. podcasts. Was uh... it easy? Because it just, I yeah. don't know what those letters mean. So I thought it was too complicated. Plus, no, I don't like YouTube easy. music. No offense, YouTube yeah, music. Yeah, I don't want to use YouTube music either. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's super easy once you find where it is. Where could it be? <laughs> oh what the it's, hell? It's in, it's in uh, Google Podcasts somewhere. Okay. Just Google it. Okay. <laughs> Great. No problem. But it's important because it's going away in April, y'all. So we don't want to lose. Yeah. We don't want to lose you if you've been enjoying yeah. the show. So. Well, hey, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. about Joseph Bryant, first off, I'm from New Orleans, and what you said about Katrina is true. When she said, oh, they're, they're lovely here or they're fortunate, I can't remember the exact words. They're lovely here. It's great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that actually did happen, and it was one of the most moronic statements ever. Glad you mentioned it, and keep on doing this podcast. It is awesome. Thank you. Thanks to Robin, and thank you to your daughter for telling you about our show. Yes, thank you so much, Robin. Yeah. All right, um, let me take my coat off. You know, I get animated in here. So, uh, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost my place while searching. Hmm. These are my confessions. No.
While? Really? There's a while searching somewhere? While searching oh, the pain Oh, there house. is. There <laughs> is. It's right there. It's right there. While right oh, the man who had stabbed him frequently hung out at Celestine's home and had... <laughs> Sorry, it's a, stabbed him frequently. Whoa, I said that wrong. <laughs> I said that frequent stabbing. Stabbed him frequently. Wow. Like every time he went outside, he got stabbed. Another stabbing. It's just they don't stop. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to read that again. <clears throat> okay. But he had a solid... Ol- oh, Let me start uh, Ollie B? <laughs> Ollie B? Ollie B? Ollie B? The question odd with. <laughs> oh, my God. A solid okay. Ollie B. <laughs> I- <laughs> oh, my turn. <laughs> Excuse me, I burped. Shit. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Potty mouth is in the house. Um, <clears throat> when uh, you were going through like uh, all the murder charges or whatever, I was going to mm-hmm. say, and you get a murder. You get a murder charge. Everybody, everybody gets a murder charge. <laughs> and then everybody's clapping crazy. Oh, my God. Serious. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know what? That's also my fault. Um, I ruined it because I forgot to get get it live. Oh. Is that what happened? Yep. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What's in the bag, Beth? I was so proud of myself because I, like, tested all the sounds before, made sure they weren't too loud, but I just for hit, forgot to hit go live so everyone can oh, hear that's the sound. Whoopsies. Anyway, uh... Do better next time. Here we go. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane <coughs> and come home under the plane, <coughs> you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, 
the long con. That's clueless, spelt K L O O G H L E S S.